Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Dolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. It's time to get the slices of orange and the cups of tea out. No YouTuber-inspired energy drinks for us as we reach half-time in the Ligan Uber Eats season. Round 19 wraps up the first half of the campaign and it's shaping up as a thrilling title run-in with PSG just three points clear at the top of the table following their loss to bogey side Ren. We look at wins for OM, LOSC and Monaco for whom Wissam Ben Yedda roared back into form and ask what can be done to stop OL's downward spiral. Perhaps new owner John Texter will be writing a blank check. Think about that one. We've got uh, more footballing esoterica with Deja Hu before we preview the upcoming Coupe de France round of 32 with some rock-solid David versus Goliath action on the cards. You're listening to Le Beau the official Ligue 1 podcast in English. My name's Ian Holyman, and I'm delighted to say that this Monday morning, I've got Luke Entwistle in slightly cloudy Nice by all accounts, and Andreas Evagora in the very cloudy Parisian suburbs. How are we, chaps? Brilliant on my end. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's not really the Riviera weather, but it, it is January after all. And uh, lovely to see an eight-goal thriller. Very one-sided eight-goal thriller at the Stade Louis day yesterday, so all good. Yeah, morning. It's chilly and cold. I went out this morning and checked on my 85 kilo scooter, which had been blown over overnight. Uh, thankfully, it hasn't hit it, not too much damage, but it's been a very windy, cold night in Paris. Yes, if you want to give us an update on the weather where you are, you can reach us on Twitter at Ligan World or Ligan underscore ENG. Or alternatively, you can give us comments on the podcast, which would also be nice at league1podcast at gmail.com. See all the video highlights and all the match reports of every single Liga match on the official website, league1.com. And of course, please like, subscribe, follow and recommend us to friends, family and uh, pretty much everyone you meet in the streets on all your usual podcast platforms. Well, let's get into the football then. Ren, tough to beat at home in the at the worst of times for most opponents, but Paris Saint-Germain never enjoy their trips to Brittany, it seems. Matt Spiro was on hand to see if they'd enjoy this one. Truffert. Good cross from Truffert. Oh, the shot by Cali Wendo. Brilliantly saved by Donnarumma. That's the best chance of the night so far. They've got to be careful not to lose it there. Neymar's done just that. This is Kalimwendo. Kalimwendo goes down. Now the referee's given a free kick. Kalimwendo went down inside the penalty area. The foul was adjudged outside. Maya's delivery. Donnarumma clears. It's a dangerous ball in from the Croat. Now Teat to Truffet. Ren starting to get a bit of confidence. Truffer fighting, finds Guiri. And now the shot on the turn from skipper Amari Traore. 
didn't quite get hold of it. Comfortable save for Donnarumma. Triore. Ugachukwu. Trufair. Good ball. Guiri. Bit of space for Amin Guiri. Gets the shot away. Donnarumma saves. And the Italian busier and busier as this half progresses. Neymar goes short for his good mate Lionel Messi. Bernat for Messi. Messi to Vitinha. Vitinha, that's a good ball over the top. Ramos. Ren have been caught out here. Danilo. Mondonda with a super save on his line. It's the first time that uh, Stefan Donda has been called into action. Ah, the ace up Christophe Galtier's sleeve is about to be unleashed. Will that be a turning point in tonight's game? Kylian Mbappe to enter the fray. Plenty of time left in the game as well. This is Truffert. Truffert still gets the cut back in and Traore buries it into the bottom corner. Rent get the goal that their endeavour has deserved. It's the skipper, Amari Traore, perhaps an unlikely goal scorer, coming in from the right wing back position, collecting the ball from the left wing back, Adrian Truffert, and absolutely burying this with his weaker left foot. It's a lovely finish. PSG in the clear, Mbappe to equalise. Well, Kylian Mbappe, unusually for him, has missed. The flag stayed down, Mbappe just on. This huge shot on the edge of the box, Ren looking to counter-attack. PSG have still got it. It's turned back into the area and it's brilliantly defended. Wow. The reaction from Amari Traore celebrating that backheader. And that might be that, Doku. Well played by Doku, it's two against one here. Kamaldin Sulemana plays Asignon in. Lorenz Asignon to clinch the win. Well, that would have been spectacular, it doesn't matter. Because Ren have beaten Paris Saint-Germain again. They are the Benoit of PSG. So, gentlemen, do we have a title race? PSG losing just the second match of the season, but their second in three outings after that defeat to Lens just uh, a week or so back. Messi well below the level he showed in the weekend win over Angers when he came back and, and got a fine goal. Neymar out of sorts too. Kylian Mbappe off the bench for his 200th league and appearance, but even he couldn't salvage it. Gentlemen, Luke, title race, is it really on? I mean, it, it does look like it. I mean, we're all just waiting for that launch drop-off, I think. I think that we know that Lons are capable at least of getting Champions League football, but the question, I think, still remains, are they capable of launching that that, that challenge? And, and that's something that's a question mark. But at the end of the day, you've got Marseille, who are also just two points behind, so... The top three separated by just five points. It does look as though um, the, it might be a little bit um, more tense than we maybe anticipated in the first part of the season where PSG looked just so ominously dominant as they have done for the past couple of years. I, 
I still have my doubts. I feel as though PSG do just have that quality off the bench and, and, and depth in the squad to just be able to to, to pull out the results when they need to. Uh, I think the question mark about them is, is you know, uh, the Champions League and the effect that a loss or a victory may have on, on their league form potentially later into the spring. But I do question also slightly their, their policy of not it kind of been very, very vocal about not bringing anyone in this winter. They've said, you know, we're not going to bring anyone in. And I do think, you know, is is it a good thing to just bring in just one extra element potentially in the January, January transfer window, especially when you've got these three returning players um, and you weren't necessarily sure about their dynamic coming back into the squad because, you know, obviously Messi won the World Cup, Kylian Mbappe had the heartbreak of not winning it and Neymar was absolutely distraught after Brazil went out and a lot was made of this dynamic and how would they all come back and... I think there's an acceptance that not all of them would hit the ground running. And given that Mbappe has, has vocalised uh, the desire to play with a, a big number nine and Ekatike has played well, you can't necessarily count on him for the whole season. And I think that game was kind of crying out from where it experienced central striker to just to give kind of a PSG that, that aerial dominance and that dominance in the final third. So I wonder if it's, it's worth revisiting that, that previous statement that they won't sign anyone this window. I think what's interesting, uh, if you look at the league table, at this stage last season, PSG had a 13-point lead, but they only had 46 points. They've got 47 points this time round. They were well ahead of Nice last term. They're only three points ahead of Lens. Andreas, you saw that performance at the weekend, or in fact, yesterday yesterday evening. Um are we getting a little bit carried away? Are, are we? Is are we? Are we exaggerating well, the, the demise was, uh, of, of Paris Saint Germain here? One nil win against a, a, a pretty decent Auxerre team actually on on Saturday, which I commentated. Uh, not talking about the weather all the time, but it was really very tough weather. It was just a, a storm up there. Um, a little bit lucky with the penalty, and I thought Auxerre a little bit unlucky with the with the, with the red card. So it's one of those games. But look, Lons have won every game at home, so credit to them they've done superbly well I agree with Luke that I, I don't think they can keep up with PSG because just PSG's quality now PSG depend on individual brilliance we've said this before normally that's enough Ian when you've got players like Messi like Neymar like Mbappe individual brilliance is enough last night I thought they were very poor I can't remember them playing so badly since I remember seeing them at Monaco. Luke might remember, I think it was about a year ago, wasn't it, when Monaco completely turned them over 3-0. They were really poor. They weren't up for it. Um, it's it's the formation. It's pretty much a 7-0-3. You know, there's the front three who don't do any defending and the seven who, 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 who do all the defending. <laughs> Normally that's good enough, but against a very well-drilled Wren team, it's not enough. Uh, we'll maybe talk about Wren a bit later, but you know, the front three were not, yeah, they just weren't up for it again under driving rain. Um, debut to, to Zaire Emery, Warren Zaire Emery, 16 years old. Now, he's a, he's a fantastic player, and I've always been an advocate for PSG playing young players, especially ones from the Paris region, and they've got a whole bunch of those. But Ian, 16, probably one of the toughest games of the season, right? Away to Wren. Wren, even before last night, they'd won two of their last three at home against PSG. They've just bought in Carlos Soler. They bought in Fabian Ruiz. They bought in Renato Sanchez. These are seasoned, tough, midfield quality players. And what message are you sending to those three if you're starting with Zaire Emery? So I really don't get that. I mean, I'm I'm not going to be given any... (laughs) 
coaching advice to Christophe Galtier, but I was mystified by that. And Ren, even without uh, probably their two best players in Terrier and, and Bourigeau, completely deserved it. Um, and as a result, we've got this three-point gap. But to, to go around to your question, I, I still think PSG will win quite quite easily, but it was very poor last night, Ian. Well, Ren, they certainly do have a number on, on, on PSG. The number is four league clashes at home to PSG, now unbeaten, three wins. Bruno Genesio. Now, I always felt that he got a, a really thin end of the wedge at, at Lyon. Always criticised. I thought he did pretty well. Uh, personally, I liked the guy a lot. Um, I talked a lot about fishing with him, actually, uh, when I interviewed him. But he, he sort of disparagingly gets cut, nicknamed Pep Genesio. But he, he, he's got Paris Saint-Germain just exactly where he wants them. That's five wins against PSG in the QSI era now. Three of them with Leon, two with Ren. Yeah, he's beaten them more than any other coach, and it was fully deserved last night. That the tactics were were spot on. I thought Adrien Truffert was amazing at left back. I thought he was actually the man of the match. He, he, that wasn't given in most of the papers this morning, but he he, he really was was excellent. Um, and basically, this is what we talk a lot about in modern football, isn't it? The gap between the defence and the midfield, which is pretty pretty much five defenders and four midfield players was just a couple of meters i mean it was really nothing at all uh, and there's so much talk about getting between the lines and all that and, and psg just got no space between that back five and the middle four i, I don't you, you count them on the fingers with one hand in the in the 90 minutes so there was no no opportunity at all for messi to take on a defender one-on-one or neymar to get one and there's no pace in that or lack of pace let's put it that way in that front three so psg couldn't be getting it behind the the back five and finding space that way. Um, Ren had a very high line, but look, Genesio was brilliant. Tactically, he he, he bossed Galtier last night. Um, and well done to, to Ren. As I say, they're without, they're probably two best attacking options, certainly down the flanks, and fully deserved that win last night. And no, no doubt Julian Nagelsmann, who's a, who's a fine tactician himself, will have, a, have an eye on that game. I mean, I'm sure Christoph Galtier will be looking at Bayern's 4-4 draw with Leipzig and... Aside from analysing it tactically, you'll probably be going, what on earth happened there with a couple of goals for either side late, very, very late on. But Bayern coming up in the Champions League on the rails very, very quickly. Now, we, we all know this, this obsession, and I, I don't think that's too, uh, that's, that, that's too strong a word to use that PSG have with winning the Champions League. <laughs> that Bayern game right now, I mean... How do, you, how do you feel about that, Andreas? Well, I think the match last night will do them a lot of good. First, Donnarumma got some goalkeeping practice. You know, I've seen a lot of PSG <laughs> the last few months. He, he, there's matches where Donnarumma does, literally doesn't have a save to make. And I don't care how good you are as a goalkeeper, and Donnarumma is one of the best in the world. He's not getting any practice, Ian. He's not getting any shot-stopping practice. Last night, he did. Uh, made a couple of good saves from Callum Wendell and one or two others. So I don't think it will necessarily do them too much harm there. And at least they have a, a, a real competitive game. And that was more than a competitive game because they were outplayed. Um, but it is a worry because I think it's it's clear how you stop PSG. You stop those front three expressing that individual brilliance. That's easier said than done. But you know what your task is 
So it's going to be a fascinating match against Bayern Munich. I don't necessarily think the match last night would have done them too much harm, though. It's also about diversifying that threat a little bit. As, as you say, that front three is so dangerous and, and you just want more from, from the midfield, really, to, to provide an extra kind of offensive thrust. I mean, we remember what Renato Sanchez was like at, at Lille. He was brilliant. You know, he really broke through the lines with, with ball carries and, and great progressive passing. We've not really seen that from him yet. But if he can can kind of refine a bit of form and refine the form that he showed at Lille last season, I feel as though he could be quite an important factor in, in that game. Of course, uh, knows Bayern Munich quite well. Well, talking about goalkeepers who get a lot of work done in Ligue 1 matches this season... Alexander Nubel. You wouldn't have thought it. Monaco and and Ren, who are sort of just outside that top three. Nubel has been actually the busiest goalkeeper, fielding four shots on average per game this season. How busy was he against the Jaxio on Sunday? Armel Tongi saw this one. Olivier Pantaloni's men defending the first corner kick of the game to be whipped in by Alexander Golovin. Fofana missed it, it'll drop for De Sassi. And Benjamin Leroy's parry only into the feet of the vice-captain. And Axel De Sassi gives Monaco a lead with the first chance of the game. Chance here perhaps for a second, Vanderson towards Ben Yedda. Golovin's free on the edge, Krepant Yatta's free at the back post and it's two. Well, 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 six minutes in. Olivier Pantaloni will be pretty upset with the team and the way they've started the game. Bayela wins it back high up. Belayli with the strike, it's into the back of the net. This game's still on. Very much so. Ten and a half minutes on the clock and it's 2-1 now. It's a poor touch from Mary Pan. Belayli came in strongly. Bayela gave it to the talented Algerian. Into the penalty area, Ben Yedder goes. He strikes a goal, he finds the net. That's brilliant. For the fourth consecutive game with San Benyeda, finds the back of the net for Monaco and the two-goal advantage is restored. As Golovin finds Benyeda and that's another excellent finish from Wissam Benyeda. It's raining goals here on the Stade Louis Deux. Five goals in four games now for Wissam Benyeda and double figures for the season for the Monaco captain. It's brilliant work from Alexander Golovin. Oh, well, well, well. It's another opportunity for a goal for Monaco. Crepantiata fouled inside the box. Penalty. Ben Yedder against Leroy. And Ben Yedder gets the hat-trick. 34 minutes and 30 seconds on the clock. His second hat-trick of the season. Monaco on fire here. And Ajaxio a slumping. That's now 5-1. They lead Ajaxio by... Caio Henrique's delivery, difficult one for Leroy, punched one-handed, comes off the head of Breelin Bolo, and that's six for Monaco. Barely on the pitch, three minutes, Breelin Bolo, and it's goal number nine for the season, goal number six for Monaco. And a chance here for seven, Breelin Bolo stealing through, it's over the goalkeeper, and into the back of the net, Breelin Bolo with his second and Monaco seventh. What a performance in front of goal from Philip Clement's men. They've been deadly. Three for Ben Yedder. Two 
for Brilin Bolo. One for Diata, one for Disassi. It's seven. So, Luke, the answer to Alexander Nubel's busyness on Sunday was, uh, well, not very. Not very at all. I mean, he had one big save to make, uh, which which he didn't make. He got a little a little touch on it, but that was the only kind of slight revolt, slight little bit of resistance that Ajaccio showed. It was an absolute bombardment from start to finish. I think um, the manager of post-match, uh, Pantaloni, described it as a collective shipwreck, which I really liked. And he took his own his own kind of... Um, he, he said, you know, th- this is a fault on our part. This is a cat- catastrophic performance on our part, but also on my part personally, because he just thought he got the tactics completely wrong and, and that really showed up. But, you know, even from the second minute... And, and Monaco haven't been starting very quickly this season. It was a, a facet of their game last season that they'd start really quick. They'd try and blow teams away in the first 10, 15 minutes. That's not been as pronounced this season. But two minutes in, you've got the first goal. By seven minutes, you're 2-0 up. And it's not as if, okay, Monaco just took every single chance that they got. They missed chances as well. It's, this could have been, it could have been double figures, truthfully. Um, and a great day for Ben Yedda. I mean, we might speak about more about uh, Ben Yedda, but he's now the third top top scorer in AS Monaco history uh, with 89 goals. So that's, that's obviously a huge uh, personal feat for him. And uh, it's it's on his return to the first team because he has been left out in recent weeks for for Elias Benseguer, who I think everyone is very very excited about. But he showed that he's still worthy of his spot in this uh, of the starting eleven. Yeah, very very worrying signs for Jazio for Monaco, uh, an expected victory, but by such margins maybe not. Uh, they just need to be there or thereabouts to you know by the end of the season in order to just try and get on that podium again this season. Uh, which, which is the, the challenge that they now face. Yeah, a 14-minute hat-trick for the 32-year-old Ben Yedda. It's, it's good that Monaco didn't start quickly, uh, Luke, because they were, what, 5-1 up by half-time. Imagine, I'm not quite sure what the score would have been if they had got out of the, out, out of the blocks quickly. But they're looking pretty good in the, in the Ligue 1 table now. Fourth place on goal difference ahead of Rennes. 37 points the pair. They're five points behind Marseille in third. Marseille will come to in a little bit. Lance just two points better off and Paris Saint-Germain top on 47. So 10 points separating the top five. Um, Luke, you, you mentioned uh, Elias Ben-Seguir. A little bit quiet. Let's let's not write him off, seeing as though he's about 12 years old and, uh, and, and, and clearly clearly very, very talented. But... He, rep- he was replaced by Brill Embolo. Now, Andreas and, Andreas and I have got a bit of a history with, with Bundesliga commentary. And to be honest, when Monaco signed Brill Embolo, I thought, hmm, well, hmm, yeah, okay, not great, but never mind. And he's been fantastic. Ten goals now, he got a brace. Ten goals, his best career return. I mean, it, how is how has he fit in at, at Monaco and why is he doing so well? Yeah, I mean, he's never a prolific goal scorer at Mönchengladbach. And I, I did ask him, he was in the press conference last week, and I said, you know, is, is this the best season of your career? And he kind of ummed and ahed about it a little bit. Didn't really want to say that that early in the season. But it's clear that he's adapted very, very, very quickly to life at Monaco. And I think that it's gone better than potentially every party possibly imagined it could. He's just seemed to have found, I'm not sure if it's more space, but his profile is just so, so suited to league on football. He's got the strength to hold off defenders, as he often does. He's also got the pace to go in behind. He's got the composure to finish. I mean, that's that finish. I mean, OK, there's not a lot of pressure when you're 6-1 up in the 88th minute. Uh, but to still 
you know, racing behind the defence, get across your man and then put a nice dink finish past the goalkeeper. That's, that's so important. I think that he he's really enjoying having a strike partner with him as well. I mean, Monaco are kind of shifting away from that a little bit now, but Ben Seguir uh, was playing as a number 10 slash kind of second striker. And I think he really likes having that contact point really close to him where he can pivot and and kind of roll his man and, and have you know a very, very close contact point with another player, which I'm not sure if he necessarily always had in, in, in the Bundesliga. So I think it's just... Uh, kind of quite intelligent tactical makeup at Monaco that is just getting the best out of a player who has great, you know, athletic ability, but is also showing a great technical ability and also really good game intelligence in the way that he's holding the ball up and bringing others into play. So it's um, at the fee that was being touted, I think it's about 15 million. It's now looking like one of the better transfers of, of the transfer window and it's it's going very well for him. Just a quick word on Ajaxio. Yusuf Belayli, the, the Algeria international He's got five for the season now as he got their their consolation, a very scant consolation too at the at the start, Louis de Ajaxio, third from bottom. Auxerre, after being absolutely trounced by Toulouse in 5-0 at home in midweek, had a slightly more respectable scoreline at Lens. Przemyslav Frankowski, trying to say that on a Monday morning, with the penalty, the only goal of the game, Lens winning again 10 Home wins in a row. Andreas, you just a quick word on this one. Three points behind. I mean, we talked last week on the pod about how we have to stop being surprised by Lance. The only surprise here was that they didn't win by more, surely. Yeah, and also went out. Um, I think they did react after a horrible defeat. They lost 5-0 at home against Toulouse a few days earlier. They changed four or five players. Um, it was just one of those tough tough afternoons. Lons never really got going, but they just scrapped it out and it was, you know, good atmosphere up there. I, don't, I, I think they will be enough, certainly for the top four. I, I, I think Monaco still have the quality maybe to to overtake Lons, but, you know, taking nothing away from Lons, they were superb. And I think they've got a decent buy in Adrian Thomason, uh, brought in for about 4 million euros and he, he was on the, the bench and just came on. So I, I think, yes, yeah, Lons are doing superbly well. Frank Hayes is arguably coach uh, of the year so far. Um, also, I think I almost changed my mind after that defeat. I think they might have a chance of staying up because they did show some real fighting spirit and they've got a little bit of quality, but it's it's going to be a tough uh, second half of the season for Orsair. But yeah, well done, Lons. They just battled through, got a bit of a dodgy penalty and um, came through with the three points again, 10 wins on the bounce. Certainly tough right now for Montpellier. They were beaten 3-0 by Nantes. Nantes now undefeated in five. Four clean sheets, unsurprisingly, Antoine Comboare making his side difficult to beat. They're up to 13th. Montpellier slipped to 15th, um, just two points above the bottom four. Roman Pito, their former midfielder, becoming the first coach not to win with Montpellier in his first four home league games. Nice held to a goalless draw in Reims, a, a bit of a bumpy landing after their 6-1 win over Montpellier in midweek. Didier Digar now in charge of uh, Nice. Toulouse and Brest cancelling each other out with a 1-1 draw that doesn't help either of those. Brest remain in the bottom four but it is pretty tight down there for most of the teams. Brest level on points with Strasbourg who are just ahead of them. Angers though slightly cut adrift now. Seven points from safety. They're five points behind second from bottom. Auxerre beaten for an 11th time in a row, it seems to me. Uh, the home defeat to uh, Clermont 
who've won now three on the bounce. Angers more than ever looking like that they are relegation uh, relegation fodder as of now. Strasbourg, though, really giving a good fist of it. Julian Stefan losing his job, though, but a second win of the season, beating Lyon two goals to one. Jean-Erd Orlu with his first of the season. Habib Diallo, who could well be the saving of Strasbourg, if you, if you ask me, with his eighth. As for Lyon, we'll dig into what's going on at the Group Armour Stadium later in the show. So get your spades out, chaps. Well, let's go back to the top end of the table. Now, Marseille were in action against Lorient. The early season surprise packages the Bretons. Andy Scott saw this one at the Velodrome. Corner whipped in by Kathleen and smashed into the net. And Lorient silenced the Velodrome with an emphatic finish from that man, Terry Murphy. Just finds a little bit of space in line with the penalty spot. And uh, a superb finish for a 12th league goal this season from the uh, Nigerian international who Lorient might struggle to keep hold of in the January transfer window. Lorient leading here tonight from their only shot on target. They're on the back foot again, Cengiz under whips it in, and there it is, it's 1-1. And it's Sead Kalasinac who scores it. Jean-Pierre Papin would approve. Malinowski then to take it again. And it's surely going to be turned in, it's come off the bar. Samuel Gigot with the goal gaping. Uh, Ruslan Malinowski, of course, whipped him plenty of corner kicks this evening, but... Uh, just getting used to his new surroundings in open play hasn't made a big impact on the game otherwise Kalashinac with the ball into the box Sanchez hits it it's a sensational finish from Alexis Sanchez and Marseille take the lead Kalashinac well having scored the equalising goal he may claim the assist for that one it was touched on though by Samuel Gigo at the near post and Sanchez still had a lot of work to do Controls it on his right foot, hits it on his left, and it goes in off the upright. The goal for a player who is Marseille's leading scorer this season. He had just one in his last nine league appearances before tonight. That is his ninth goal altogether this season. Bemba tries the cross on the right-hand side. Watara loses out to Veretu, smashes it in with the aid of a deflection. And it's 3-1 to Marseille. And they're threatening to run right in this second half. Would Manoni have been beaten without the deflection? That's the question. Mbemba's ball in from the right, ending up at the feet of Jordan Veretu on the far side. And it was Gedeon Kalulu's touch, which did for Manone. And Marseille seemed to be heading for the three points. So, Marseille... Very much in contention still, holding Monaco and Rennes at bay. In th- they're in third place, Igor Tudor's side, with a, a five-point gap over the chasing pack. Sead Kolasinac, again, finding the net. Three goals in his last five. Nuno Tavares, who's uh, served the last of his suspended games, he's got five for the season. Andreas, you're a, 
well-known Arsenal fan, a committed Arsenal fan. What's going on and what? why? why are, I mean, Nuno Tavares is only on loan at Marseille. He may well go back to, back to Arsenal uh, this, this summer. But why are Arsenal letting these goal-scoring fullbacks go? <laughs> and and, and why, why are they finding such good form at Marseille? Well, they, they weren't goal-scoring fullbacks in, in North London for, for a start. But look, they, they've both done it extremely well, but they play in a different system. Well, this isn't an Arsenal podcast, but very quickly, why, why they don't fit into the Arsenal system is Arsenal play with a back four, but as soon as they get the ball, the left-back goes and sits in front of the, um, the two centre-backs and plays as, as, as a midfield player, essentially. Um, so neither Tavares or Kolasinac really have that kind of technical ability or profile. Um, and they're also playing in a 3-5-2 at Marseille, which gives them the opportunity to get forward, hence them scoring a lot more goals. Uh, Kolasinac was, was a decent player at Arsenal, but he's not the quickest on the turn, uh, which again is less serious when you're playing further up the pitch. So not that surprised Kolasinac has, has done well. I mean, another reason he, le- he left was a link with, with Meza Ozil and, and that kind of uh, dressing room clique. So those two left backs doing really well, both good players. I don't expect Tavares to come to come back to Arsenal, but they're both scoring scoring plenty of goals. Uh, and Marseille was a decent performance. They went behind to a Terra Moffi goal. Um, I wonder what, what Luke thinks about Moffi. Is he going to stay in in Liga much longer? Because he's having a very good season, isn't he? And there's a lot of demand for centre forwards around Europe, from from what I see. Uh, Valtu and Rangier very solid in midfield. Uh, Malinovsky, the new buy, was I think maybe taking a bit of time to settle in, but he, a good player. So yeah, after going one nil behind, Marseille turned it round, comfortable at the end. Sanchez with a really good goal off the left boot as well. So things looking good for Marseille. Yeah, look at Terra Moffi, a, a man that we've talked about a lot. Now twelve goals for the season in the league. That's one more than Neymar, one fewer than than Kylian Mbappe. Lorient, though, failed to win their last 22 trips to face sides ranked in the top 10. Has the bubble burst now for, for Regis Libri's side? So, you know, on, on Moffi, it just kind of screams of a transfer deadline day to a, to a lower mid-table <laughs> Premier League side. You know, it, it just screams of that. But he's, he's such a great technical player. I mean, that goal against, against Marseille just showed such brilliant technique on the volley. Um, also links with, with Nice. And, you know, would he improve that Nice side? Certainly would. Uh, so that'd be an intelligent move from as well. But, um, you know, hopefully Lorient gets to keep him until the end of the season. We can see what this Ridgely Slippery side can do and whether or not they can hold on. And that's, that is the task now. You know, I'm sure that they're not looking up the table. They're looking over their shoulder at this point because they had that brilliant start, but it, it, they do seem to have lost that momentum. They look great against Monaco, it must be said, in midweek in that two-all draw, although they potentially were lucky to get that result. But they they still look so... Uh, deadly on the break and in the transitions. And you just think that if they can just continue to take their moments as they have done throughout the season, then they can stay up there. But they are reliant on moments and being reliant on moments in matches is not a surefire way to, over the course of a league on season, to to get into those places. So I think it will be difficult for them to hold on, but but you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves and, and let's kind of recalibrate this to an extent and say... I had them to go down at the start of the season in the first podcast. I think a couple of other couple of others potentially did too. So within that context, you know, seventh or eighth is a brilliant season for them. And um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see if Watara, Moffi 
uh, and Zola Lafay can can keep producing the magic. And if they do, then potentially they can you know ride it out until the end of the season and still be in contention, even if ultimately they don't manage. You're listening any to Luke Enwistle, Andreas Evagora, and me, Ian Holyman, on the Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast in English. Don't forget, you can email us at League One Podcast at gmail.com send us your thoughts and uh, you can get us on twitter as well at league one world or league one underscore english now we just mentioned lorion they're down in seventh place now four points ahead of eighth place clermont lorion who are now at some 10 points adrift of the top three i have to say luke your prediction for them to be relegation candidates not quite as uh Left field as Andreas's for uh, sorry not sorry Andreas Angus's Angus. to finish uh, for Strasbourg to finish in the Champions League places. Lille though sandwiched in between Rennes and Lorient in sixth place, a good win for them too as well. Five one their victory against Troyes. Uh, certainly potential relegation for the Artois. Jonathan David twelve goals for the season now for him the first foreign-born player to get 40 league and goals for Lille. And uh, Andy Scott saw the Canada International in great form in this one. And he is making the most of a rare start today. It's a really good finish for a player who scored against Troyes here in the French Cup last weekend. That just his third goal for the club he joined last summer. And it comes on just his third start. Lille won, Trois nil. Lots of reasons for Patrick Kisnorbo to be hopeful for his team in the second half. The new uh, manager of Trois, David. Timothy Weah lifts it over the defender, saved by the goalkeeper, but it's turned into the net on the follow-up by Jonathan David. And that uh, is a second goal that comes at a precious time for the home team, right on half-time here. A 12th goal of the season for Lille's leading scorer. And Paolo Fonseca's side are very much in the driving seat. It's an all credit to Timothy Weyer for the part he played. It was his uh, skip over the defender, forced uh, the goalkeeper to come out, make the save, and then the ball breaking for Jonathan David to score the goal. Here comes Timothy Weyer, playing it left back today for Lille. Hits it, moved through the air, the goalkeeper parrying the first shot, but Mohamed Bayo following in like any good centre-forward to tuck in the loose ball. It's his second of the game, and it's Lille's third. And after they got their second goal in first half stoppage time, they have struck again, not long after the restart. And Mohamed Bayo really settling into life at his new club now. Kept in by Amdou Conte. Looking for Mama Balde, it's a brilliant finish at the near post from Mama Balde. Superbly taken goal. And Troyes pull one back. Still 25 minutes plus stoppage time remaining. Maybe there is time for them to make a game of this in the final quarter here. Fed through for Zegrova. 
Zegrova. Zegrova's shot. Parried out by Matthias Lees, but the rebound falls. Thalan Virginius, he was denied his first league-on goal a few moments ago by the Polish goalkeeper, but handed one on a plate that time. It's 4-1 for Lille. Zegrova. Really good cross in, and there's the header from David. It's another goal for the Canadian, it's a fifth for Lille today. It's a crushing victory for them, and what a response to the critics who said that they might play nice football, but they don't put the ball in the net often enough. Well, they have run riot today. So Paolo Fonseca's side now undefeated in six, three wins, rising up the table. Chaps, Paolo Fonseca, a couple of weeks back, was uh, booed by uh, and roundly so by the by the Lille fans and said, "I'll go if they want me to," um, which I'm surprised he didn't go because it sounded certainly sounded like they wanted rid of him. But he's he's turned things round. Mohamed Bayo talking of turning things round, making his first start since August. He was left out for disciplinary reasons for for heading out just before uh, the match against PSG. He got two goals as well in that big win. Alan Virginius, the the highly rated young striker brought in from Sosho on target as well. Lille coming up on the rails, gentlemen. Do you, do you see them making a, a real push for that that top top three finish? Is, is is that still possible? The eight points behind Marseille, Andres. I, I top three, I think, is asking a lot. But I think Lille are one of the more interesting clubs in France, and the Lille fans, I just do not understand them. For me, Fonseca's done a really good job. I've, I must admit, I didn't see them this weekend, uh, apart from the highlights, but I, I saw them quite a lot earlier in the season. They were dominating teams. Fonseca's just come in. Look at the players he's lost. He's lost Onana, he's lost Sanchez, he's lost Botman. The team that won Ligue 1 a few years ago, I mean, that's that's completely being dismantled. The guy's just coming from Ukraine, you know, so don't forget that. That's a, a personal circumstance that you can't you can't overlook. Um, I think I saw, like, possession stats and things like that. that they're doing very well what do the fans expect he hasn't really brought in any big name players um so i i think i don't know how much money there is to spend up in Lille. probably not much but i think with it with, with a couple of additions they could certainly be top six they're playing some really good football Lille. so you know message to Lille fans give the guy a chance give the guy a season because it's not as if he's been offered you know huge resources in a fantastic playing squad and um keep an eye out for Lille for the rest of the season I, they, they could definitely be top six, top five. Luca, they're, they're surely genuine, a genuine threat to Monaco now and Monaco's ambitions, aren't they? I really enjoy watching Lille play, but they're just chronically inconsistent. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to see with them from one week to the next. And that just makes it really hard for me to, to predict, you know, a meteoric rise or, or a rapid rise through the table because, you know, it'll be 5-1 against Trois this week, but it'll be 2-0, loss against Hawks out of the next um, so it's you get both sides for, from this Lille side. Uh, I do believe that Fonseca is, is doing overall a good job with limited resources, you know, with limited funds and with all those big-name departures over the past few years. Uh, I think he is doing a good job. I think that I think it's it's the style of play, isn't it, that, that the fans don't like from Fonseca, but he kind of likes to control the match. I think there's a, there a back pass to a centre-back. And he says, you know, if, if, if you're going to boo me from that, I may as well just go because this, this is how I play. You know, he wants to have control over the game and, and really kind of get his players into position. So I think you have to let, 
you know, let it play out, especially when you have such kind of positional uh, play uh, ideology. You you really need time to work with your squad in order to flesh that out and to get everyone, uh, you know, build those automatisms and, and those muscle reflexes to to play that system. So I think that Lila are on the, on the right track, but I think in the meantime, maybe just for the season or until the end of the season, I, I do see just that inconsistency just hurting them in the long run and, and maybe just missing out on European football. Just missing out on European football. Uh, we'll we'll throw you under the bus at some stage later in the season, Luke, when <laughs> Lille secure European football, which which I think they which I think they will because they've got goals in them. They've got goals in that side now. I know. Okay, Monaco have got goals in that side too. Ren Ren as well, and they they look to be the three who are going to who are going to charge pretty hard on on that Marseille and and, and Lens and there we say it, Paris Saint Germain. Um, though, there'll be tears down under. Patrick Kisnobo after a, an unbeaten start, his first two games, he got four points. No points from the last two after they were beaten by Marseille in midweek as well. though, relatively safe. Relative, well, I say relatively safe. They're in 14th, but they're only three points above the bottom four. Well, it's time for Deja Who, the final Deja Who of this month. No show next week, so gentlemen, you can... Uh, in Luke's case, get down to the beach, and Andreas, you can just hunker down and, and try and stay warm somehow. So the winner, this month's winner, will be announced on the next podcast on Monday the 30th of January, two weeks today. You have to answer today's Deja Who, though, and tell us what he has in common with the previous three questions in this theme. If you know the answer, or are you will- if you're willing to take a wild stab in the dark and we uh, we all know that on Le Bourgeois, we do love wild stabs in the dark. Send an email to league1podcast at gmail.com. But here we go. My life started with an incident that left its mark on me and my football journey was an unusual one with many false starts and setbacks, including having to work on a construction site with my father and failing to impress on trial at several local clubs. In the end, I got my chance in the third division and never looked back. The first league and experience was followed by a typically dramatic overseas move where I won my first silverware before a quick return to France. During the next two seasons in Ligue 1, I emerged as a potential world-class player and my next move back overseas confirmed it over the next 12 years. Who am I and what do I have in common with the other January answers. If you think you know who it is, send your answers via email to league1podcast at gmail.com. Now, as I read that, there was uh, blank oh, no. looks from uh, Andreas, which is uh, fair <laughs> enough because I'm equally blank. No, I, I know it because it, it's the clue about working on the building site. The, the, the player made a very, the media made a oh. big deal out of that building site thing, so I, I know who it is. Luke seems to know it. No, I'm just, I'm just always kind of elated when I, I get one. I kind of really make it, you know, make it very visual that I know the answer. <laughs> well, as I said, if you know listeners, then you can join Luke and uh, Andreas in just showing me up and my lack of French football knowledge with your answers at league1podcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget, you've got to add what does that person have in common with the other January answers. By, uh, by the standards of that clue, it's probably that they can all plaster walls and I don't know paint stuff <laughs> which I certainly can't now gentlemen 
We mentioned them a little bit earlier. Leon. We we seem to do this every single week, every single season for the last <laughs> two or three seasons. Leon, down in ninth place. What are the fans so angry about? Well, their team is just not performing. One win in five. No home wins since the end of October. Fans attacked the team yeah. bus before, not after. So I don't know what would have happened after. Before <laughs> they lost to Strasbourg at the weekend. Strasbourg with a second win of the season. Mathieu Lascone, who was a part of Julian Stefan's backroom staff. He's the caretaker coach now. Leon dominating, but no cutting edge. Carl Tokua can be getting booed off. Um, <laughs> Laurent Blanc saying that the players needed to be aware of what was going on. That was before the game. He says, we're in a difficult situation before you can imagine now. Do we, what's interesting here? They, Ian, they actually played pretty well. They played pretty well against Strasbourg. This was the, 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 the strange thing. And the interviews before and after the players said, we, 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 we played all right. Most of the uh, analysts uh, on TV uh, and in the paper said they played pretty well. Uh, I think the XG for the people who are interested in that was like 3.2 to 0.8. I mean, the, the two Strasbourg goals was, one was a real sort of um, Sunday league effort, the first one, and, and the second and beauty from Diallo. Um, but Leon, I mean, <laughs> it's true. We do seem to talk about this every week. Let's start with the positives. I mean, Leon traditionally, and people of my age, you know, they've dominated French football when I, when I came to France, seven wins in a row, uh, seven titles in a row. Um, but let's not forget, and when you talk to people, Ian, even older than me, and they do exist, you know, they, they do tell me, French people, that Lyon were not always a big side. And when Olas took over, I think they were second division. They, they were in the second yes. division. Uh, Jean-Michel Olas can, can go down, and I'm staying on the positives, as probably the greatest president in the history of Ligue 1. I mean, look what he's done for that club. And they're they, they winning the title seven times in a row, four different coaches. We talked last time about this brilliant recruitment they had uh, of bringing players over from Brazil. Their youth academy is one of the best in France. I mean, the players they brought through are amazing. But then we have to turn to the negatives. I mean, the transfer policy in the last few years has uh, been disastrous. I mean, imagine a Lyon team with the players that they've sold. I mean, remember they sold Terrier, look what he's doing now, Guimaraes, Paqueta, Depay, uh, Guiri. You know, imagine if they'd have kept those players. That's a pretty decent team. Look at the players they brought in. You know, we can talk about that, but, you know, players towards the back end of their career who just haven't done the job. Um, I remember a, a long interview with Olas when, when they were saying, you know, descri desc what is Leon? Describe it. And he's, it's like a Formula One team. Luke, Luke probably follows Formula One more than me being down in Monaco. But meaning, look, you've got this team. It's a complicated operation of football club these days. And the coach is the driver. So whoever comes in, drives it, picks up the car, he leaves, new one comes in, shouldn't make too much difference. Now, if that's the case, there's something wrong with the team. And we can't keep blaming the coach. Uh, it's currently Laurent Blanc has been out of the game for a while, but I think it would, I can't imagine a coach who would come in and, and turn that round. So it's not doom and gloom. They've still got some good players. They've still got some good young players who are currently given, being given for me far too much responsibility to get them out of this hole. But it's a, it's a big like oil tanker that needs to be turned around 
and Saturday night just didn't go for them. They played all right, but you know sometimes football's like that. They got to look forward and and try and get themselves out of this mess. Yeah, Laurent Blanc actually second manager in the 21st century at Lyon to lose four of his first nine games. Who was the other one? Oh yeah, not not many. Silvino. Yeah. How many games did he last? Nine. <laughs> so I mean. Luke, they, they've only they've only just brought Laurent Blanc in. It feels like um, is he already on his way out? Should he be on his way out? It always looked like a questionable appointment. I would say. Um, I mean, obviously, Peter Boss had to go. I don't think there's any doubts there. But the the level of, of of recruitment there to bring in Laurent Blanc seemed a little bit unimaginative. But it was an appointment that came at a, a strange time for the club because it was in the midst of this extremely protracted takeover by John Texter, which is now finally completed. So at least there is that level of stability at the club. But it did feel as though uh, the club was treading water a little bit at that time. And he was the man to kind of keep them above that water and, and just kind of keep the club going. Uh, and he's got a lot of experience. He knows how to run a club. He knows how to, uh, to, to get the best out of players. But he's been out of the game a long, long time. And whether or not he still has that ability is is certainly up for question, especially on the run that they're on now. I mean, I, I think I saw a stat that um, not since 1997-98 have Leon lost eight games by the 19th game week, so the halfway point of Liga. Uh, I mean, that that's, that's a pretty damning stat. So should he go... I think there are lots of other issues at the club that are, are bigger than he is. I mean, the getting the band back together transfer policy, which is being continued this this um, this transfer window with the sign of Dejan Lovren, obviously Lacazette, Tolisso coming back in the summer. It just seems kind of like a nostalgic hit for the fans just to kind of please them rather than any coherent recruitment strategy. I'm, I'm not sure if that's the way to go. And it's an interesting point that Andreas brings up about the uh, the responsibility on the young players, you know, Malo Gusto, Kakare, um and... Um, the penal in, in the midfield, these in Turkey as well. These are really good players, really good young players, but way too much responsibility. I mean, this is a team that's supposed to be bringing on, you know, trying to get towards those European places. They shouldn't be the team carrying, they shouldn't be the players carrying that team. Uh, and ultimately, if they do finish eighth or ninth, which I'd say at this point looks pretty likely, you have to say Lukeba, Malagusto, Kakare. They're all going to move on in the summer. And yes, you know, it's a great academy. They can bring through good players, but you can't be losing them this quickly. Yeah, Leon in trouble. I think that's fair to say regarding their European ambitions. 17, one, seven points of third place. I think we can safely say that that has, that has gone. That ship has, that ship has sailed. They are still some 12 points off fourth place, Monaco. And fifth place, Ren. And the question is, Ian, the, 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 how are things going in, in behind the scenes? Because there's a there was a camera, a remote camera in the tunnel after Toko Akambi was subbed off, and he kicked the dustbin. And you know, this this it clearly not a very good idea to kick a dustbin anyway, because sometimes they're screwed in, aren't they? So you can actually get an injury. I've heard of people doing that, but it's it's not a happy ship. Um, turning things round. There was a really interesting discussion on on a, on a chat show about older coaches, and let's face it, uh, Laurent Blanc is is a is a slightly older coach, and whether they can still connect with younger players. Uh, it, it it was a discussion. I hope not not going too off off sort off piste here, but with guys who really know football, Oliver Dacor was there, Perez, Nasri, 
um, Mikael Silvestre. And they were saying young players now, they do need constant change, constant stimulation. And an example that was given that I thought was really interesting. But they're saying in the old days, after a team lost a, a match, uh, they'd be, you know, arguing and you know, in the dressing room, it would get heated and that would carry on in the bus on the way home. There was even the odd fist fight in a coach. They were saying now young players, as soon as they get on the coach, the match is forgotten and you wouldn't know if they've won or lost the game. Same for if they've won a game. They've won a game, they're celebrating and it's forgotten by the time, you know, they're back in the coach. So my point is, can Laurent Blanc, as a, a, a more older, traditional coach, uh, adapt to these younger players? Because he, he's got to keep them stimulated. And Laurent Blanc, of course, for our generation, me and you, Ian, he's, he's a legend of football. You know, won everything. World Cup winner, Euro winner, fantastic player. But for players coming through in their early 20s, does he mean that much to them? And is he going to be constantly changed? Another thing that came through is all of these guys agreed. No young players watch football matches, Ian. Not, they don't know any young players who regularly watch a match of football from first minute to last, which I found staggering, but maybe it's not that surprising, you know? Um, so that changes how a guy like Laurent Blanc coaches, and all, all of that generation coach the younger players. It's not about going, saying, go home and watch this match. They're not going to do it. So it, it's a different method of coaching. That's what I'm getting at. And it's going to be interesting to see whether Laurent Blanc can can inspire those young players in the way that Luke was talking about, because it is those younger players who can potentially save the season for, for Leon. Yeah. Maybe Luke, get your coaching badges done. You might get, you might get the Leon job, mate, because uh, they need, they need a youngster. And just to, just to put that in perspective, Sal Combedi, he's 17. And I, I actually interviewed him after he'd scored a couple of goals uh, for France in the final of the under 17 Euro in Israel in the summer. And he'd never scored. He's a right back. And, of course, the parallels with Turam from 1998 and the semi-final against Croatia. Luke, you can Google that one, mate. Because um, <laughs> you probably weren't born then. Um, I, I was one year old. One year. <laughs> you're one. Oh, I see. You obviously know all about it. And, and, I, yeah, and yeah, I, said to, I, I said to Kim Betty, well... You know, look, and you know, like you know, two goals unexpected, and from a right back, it's a bit like Lillian Turam, and he was very polite, but I'm not entirely sure that he knew who Lillian Turam was. I'm not trying to throw Sal Kambedi under a bus, but the point is that he was born two years after Laurent Blanc finished his playing career. So I, I think Andreas, you're probably right. Maybe our view, yours and mine, is perhaps skewed by the fact that we remember Laurent Blanc as the player, and he doesn't. He has a stature, of course. Mm. Of course, if Zidane took over at Lyon, all of those kids would know who he is. Yeah, they all would know they'd have huge respect for him, just like that, those those Real Madrid superstars did. And maybe Laurent Blanc doesn't quite have that standing. And maybe we are starting to look at somebody like the age of Julian Nagelsmann, uh, maybe Mathieu Lascone, for example, at, at Strasbourg. Maybe it's time we're going to start to see younger and younger coaches coming through in Ligue 1. If that is the case, if... if if the younger players are not responding. And, and there is no doubt that Leon still have, at least for me, a nucleus of very, very, very good young players. Question is, can they push on? And then the, the other question is, can Textor and, and his cohorts keep them at Leon? Because that, of course, is also a significant problem and will be exacerbated by the fact that if they don't qualify for European football, they're going to need the cash. And just a final word on that. Look who's... But, uh, one of the more successful 
coaches in France at the moment. Will still 30 years old, is he? 30, 31. What an amazing job he's done with, with very little coaching experience. He's of that generation, clearly a very bright guy. And he's doing the job on the pitch. He's getting the results. And obviously, uh, he has a very unusual path towards that as well. I mean, we're talking about generational differences, but he accrued experience, if you can call it experience, uh, through yep. football manager, you know, mm. a video game. Uh, um, will we see more of that in the future? I mean, that, that really does show the difference between, you know, who we're talking about, Laurent Blanc, Will Still, you know, Will Still um, learns his trade on a PC game. And uh, probably after yeah, Laurent Blanc retired. interview with Will Still, you, you, you might have seen it, Luke. Sorry to interrupt, but he, the way he got his first job, he couldn't get a job when he was trying to get a coaching badge. And someone, someone said, look, do you know how to edit video? That was how he got in. And they said, can you, can you go and edit some videos of some players that we're looking at? And he knew how to edit, you know, got on his computer, put some clips together of players. That's how he got his in into coaching. I mean, can you imagine Laurent, someone asking Laurent Blanc, can you put together a five-minute video clip of a couple of players? <laughs> Things have changed. Hang on, like, you're giving me ideas. Like, <laughs> I, I don't mind a little uh, tinkle on the old console, and I can put a video together, as, as, as we're all fully, fully aware. Though, just uh, joking, only half-joking aside, Will still 17 points from his first nine Ligue 1 games with France, four wins, five draws, better than any other coach with France at this stage. No real surprise there. Reims, uh, with that uh, with that goalless draw at home to Nice this uh, this weekend, but up into eleventh uh, or in eleventh place, ten points clear of the the bottom four. And I think many many people, and quite rightly so, would have had Reims among their relegation candidates. They may still go down, but uh, ten points is a pretty handy cushion at the halfway stage. Well, just time then to look ahead to the weekend's action, and it's not your usual fare. We're back with the Coupe de France, the uh, rounds of the Coupe de France coming very, very thick and very, very fast, given that uh, the teams didn't start before Christmas, uh, the two uh, two top-flight teams. We're going to take a little bon voyage into the Coupe de France round of 32. So the headline clash is, uh, and and thank you to Jonathan Johnson, <laughs> a regular contributor to the pod, P. De Cassel US, the only team without a Wikipedia page still left in the Coupe de France, <laughs> and they're playing the team with undoubtedly the most Wikipedia pages <laughs> dedicated to it and its players, Paris Saint-Germain. That, I mean, that's sixth division yeah. against well Paris Saint-Germain and, and Ian we have to explain what a sixth division is it's sixth division in France uh, it's, it, it's not like in England for instance you've got only two professional leagues in France yeah so the top two are professional then you've got leagues or national as they call it three four and five going down the pyramid so you know that's quite low down and this is the the pay Casella in the league after that so it's the sixth tier, and that sixth tier is not national. It's a regional league. So, you know, these are really are, you know, butchers, bakers, and candlestick makers, if 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 you want to go down. I mean, they're 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 I'm I'm not even sure if they're semi, they're certainly not semi-pros. These are amateurs. The question is, 
Yeah, it's been played at Lons, by the way, so they're not going to be playing on, you know, in, in, a, in a car park with PSG players. Uh, who, who are PSG going to play? <laughs> in a car park. <laughs> I can just get that image of, of Messi going out. With some jumpers, just putting jumpers yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. well, it'd still be pretty good. But look, PSG have got this trip to, to Saudi Arabia in the week, playing this game. Now, I don't know what everyone thinks about it, but it, it's, it's billed as Ronaldo against Messi, and it's a very big thing for PSG. So... Their priority this week might not be the cup. It might be uh, a showdown in the desert. Uh, I suspect they'll play a stronger team for this friendly match than they will in the cup, which is maybe a debate for another time. Um, I also heard some, you know, some fans saying last night that we're thinking more about this trip to Saudi Arabia than the match at Wren. But anyway, um, it's a great story for Le Pay Cassel. If you don't know where it is, there's no shame in that because I had to look it up this morning. It's up there in the northeast. Whoever PSG play, it's going to be a team of professionals, one would hope, and it will be an amazing match. And it will be the certainly the night of their lives. Uh, the match has been put back because of PSG's trip to Saudi Arabia, where it, when it would normally be played on Saturday or Sunday. It's going to be played on, on Monday, which is a bit of a shame. But nevertheless, uh, what what a night for for the players of Le, Le Pays Cassel. Yeah, just a quick just a quick one on that. Talk about the romance of the cup. In the previous round, PDC, as we're now calling them, uh, beat a, beat another team from the north, Wascal, which is uh, just in, in in the Lille sort of suburbs. Um, brothers, so Sofian Izeguin is the is the PDC coach, and he beat his brother Medi. Who's the Waskell coach? Uh, five four on pens. Oh my my! I hope they get on well because I mean that's if they do get on well, that's a great story. But but to go on and beat to to play PSG and then Waskell beat Reims in the in the previous round four two on penalties and former Lille goalkeeper Vincent Enyama, remember him won the title. It, it seems to me. Uh, or did he come in just after that tw- that twenty uh, that twenty eleven uh, twenty eleven title, featuring for for Waskell? So so some some great names and a great tie coming up. Couple more of the ties There's an all league tie, uh, which I'll be at actually at the Stade Velodrome, Marseille against Rennes. We've got Toulouse and Ajaccio and uh, Brest against Lens. Also, uh, of course, top flight. Paul. Well, they come, uh, they knocked out Montpellier, it seems to me, in the last round. They go to Lille and Lyon. Here's a tricky one. Going to fifth division, Chambéry, which I believe is the hometown of, uh, of, of Olivier Giroud, actually. Um, Angers, they're away as well to, to FCOSC. We talked about them last week in, in Strasbourg. They're sixth division as, as well. Fourth division, Les Herbiers, who got to the final uh, not all that long ago taking on top-flight op- opposition in Will Stills' uh, Reims. Will, will that be a first defeat for Mr. Still? Um, and uh, Auxerre away at Nior and Nantes. They have fifth division opponents as well. Incredible. We talked again about this uh, last week, the amount of uh, the amount of lower division teams. And, and when we talk about lower division, we are talking just a step above pub league teams, really. Getting through to this stage, it, talk, it, it, it says a lot about the quality of, of French football, even down in what you would consider the absolute backwaters of, of, the, uh, of the, the French football pyramids. Gentlemen, which games do you fancy? I'm going to go for one that's not there because I'm going to stay local. 
<laughs> obviously, the, the Marseille Renmont <laughs> is a great matchup. I mean, for, for that early in the cup, for, for such a big match. But obviously, in the last round, it wasn't great for the Riviera teams. Monaco out to Rodez and uh, Nice out to one of the longest names. It's Le Puyon Valley, Fut 43, Auvergne. So they, they were knocked out against them. So n- not too much <laughs> local football. However, Rodez are returning to Riviera, hoping to pull off another scalp. They're playing National Deux side, so what, what were their fourth uh, fourth division side? Uh, Grasse, so Grasse, uh, not too far away, just a bit down the coast. They'll be hoping to, after having beaten Monaco, beat another Riviera side in Grasse. So I will be at that match. Um, yeah, we're talking slightly better than than kind of public football there, but once again, it, it's kind of a semi-professional side. Um, and and that'll be a nice match for them. Andreas? Yeah, Ian, I think you're being a bit tough saying a a level above pub football. It's a level above Sunday league football, let's put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, in in fact, where to go, for me, it's got to be Le Pecassel. I don't care who PSG send. It's going to be, you know, the PSG machine is going to be just sort of implanted on this little little village team, even if it is at, at the stud uh, Felix Bollard. So I expect it'll be a full house. I think a lot of Longs fans will probably turn up supporting um, the home team if, if tickets are not sold already. So yeah, well, that, that, whatever happens, it's going to be a fascinating match. It certainly is. Plenty, plenty of action to look forward to. Remember, no podcast next week. We'll be back on the 30th to round up well, probably the Coupe de France will be a little bit far away, but maybe the repercussions, and I'm looking at you, Leon, who will actually be playing their game against Chambéry at uh, at home, even though they were drawn away at the at the Group Arma Stadium, maybe the repercussions of those Coupe de France ties will still be being felt and uh, may have significant consequences for the jobs of certain coaches. Here's looking at you again, Leon, when we get back to you on the 30th of January. So all that leaves me now to say is uh, thank you to Luke and Whistle. Thank you. Andres Ivagora for joining me. Thanks. And thank you to you for listening. See you again on the 30th of January. Bye for now. Oh my word, what a goal. Golovin, lovely finish. Ajax delivery, Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Adolfo. Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done it!